Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, May 1st. I'm your host, Mike McHarry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, it seems like we're living in some kind of modern version of Charles Dickens's Tale of Two Cities. We've got one city, which is a fantasy land filled with optimistic people who actually believe that the economy is about to spring back to life. And in the other city, we have economic reality. And I feel like gold is kind of caught on this road in the middle. Gold charted solid gains in April, but this week hasn't really been that great. In fact, the yellow metal was on track for its biggest weekly drop since mid-March as we go into trading today. And we were actually trading below $1,700 an ounce again, even this morning. Now, we're right at $1,700 as I begin recording this podcast. We seem to be on a little bit of an uptrend. But I really can't put my finger on why gold was down this week. Now, stocks closed down yesterday as well. The Dow dropped something like 288 points on Thursday, although the Dow generally had a good week. Uh, But futures were down this morning. There seems to be a little bit of risk-off sentiment growing. You know, I think maybe people are starting to realize that uh, the economy is really bad, (laughs) which seems kind of obvious, but I don't know. The markets have have been resisting that reality. Anyway, as far as gold goes, analysts say there are also some technical reasons that we've seen a drop in price this week. But regardless, even with the weekly decline, gold still gained 6% in April. Now, meanwhile, the U.S. stock markets had their best month since 1987. And that was after the massive decline in October of that year, you might recall Black Monday. Now, this month, there was a similar bounce back after a massive decline in March. Now, this has primarily been fed by the Fed, central bank and government stimulus. I mean, it certainly wasn't fueled by economic fundamentals. Let's look at some of the actual economic data. I've used the word unprecedented when talking about the damage done to the economy with these uh, shutdowns. I don't think this is hyperbole. We got the Q1 GDP this week. The number came in even worse than projections. The economy shrank by 4.8%. It was the first negative GDP reading since a 1.1% decline in the first quarter of 2014, and it was the lowest level since the 8.4% plunge in Q4 2008. And I am certain the worst is yet to come. In fact, most analysts I've read think the worst is yet to come as well. Now, let's step back and think about this for a minute. That's a pretty bad GDP print, right? But we expected it to be pretty bad. Economists were forecasting a 3.5 to 4% drop. So, you know, this isn't shocking, but it is worse than projected. And I think the thing that we have to remember is that the Q1 GDP number only captures the first couple of weeks of the government lockdowns of the economy, right? Let's go back in time to January. Donald Trump and others were telling us that it was the best economy in the history of the world. That was also in the first quarter, right? So the best economy in the history of the world, that number was also included in this GDP print. Isn't it pretty astounding that we went from the best economy ever to economic crisis in a matter of weeks? Now, I get it. When you basically just flip a switch and turn off the economy, you're going to see a major contraction in productivity. 
But like I said, the worst is yet to come. The economy was closed through the entire month of April, and even though there are some signs things are opening up, we're not really going to be open in May either. So most economists think that the really bad GDP number is going to be in Q2. But I can't emphasize this enough. I feel like a broken record. But this is not just about the coronavirus shutdowns. You have to remember that despite all of the hyperbolic cheerleading about the economy, you know, in January, the, it was it was already riddled with debt and it was already being propped up by extraordinary Federal Reserve monetary policy. Remember, three rate cuts in 2019. The Fed was running repo operations to stabilize the financial markets, and the central bank had already launched quantitative easing before COVID-19. Of course, you know, Jerome Powell wouldn't call it QE, but that's exactly what it was. The reality is the U.S. economy was a big, fat, ugly bubble, and coronavirus was the pin that popped the bubble. And judging by the Q1 GDP number, the air is coming out even faster than most analysts expected. In fact, recent economic data reveals a veritable house of horrors. Consumer confidence, worse than expected. Manufacturing numbers, worse than expected. The goods trade deficit, worse than expected. I'll link to an article in the show notes page that gives more detail on some of these economic data points. But the bottom line is, it's bad. And yet there is still this persistent optimism that since the government turned off the economy, it can just turn it right back on again. Economist Larry Sumner, he's a pretty well-known Keynesian, he tweeted that he was optimistic about what they call a V-shaped recovery. He said it was like Cape Cod in the fall and then in the winter. You know, the tourists leave the area and there is an effect of a little recession. And then the tourists come back in the summer and they spend a whole bunch of money and everything is fine. So he thinks this will be the same. The economy is going to open up and everybody will start spending again. You know, we'll have all of this pent-up demand and we'll have this rapid recovery. But economist Bob Murphy pointed out that his little analysis ignores the capital structure. You know, shutting down the economy disrupts all of that. It's not just a matter of aggregate demand. It's not just people, you know, stop spending money so they just need to start spending money again and the economy will roar. You have to produce stuff for people to buy. And there are a lot of intermediate steps in the production process that have been disrupted by the shutdowns. Murphy used a really good analogy. Say you're a carpenter and you get to go back to work. You've been off work uh, you know, for these last two months and you get to go back to work. Yay, you're working again and you're going to build stuff. The economy is fixed, right? Except for the fact that for the last two months, nobody has made any nails. So yeah, that's a problem. So we have no idea how much this shutdown is distorting the economy. We have no idea how badly it's breaking supply chains and intermediate steps in the production process. We have no idea, you know, what the closure of quote-unquote non-essential businesses has done to the capital structure and the economic workings of the economy. We're not going to see that clearly for months. Murphy also points out that the arbitrary nature of the government shutdowns make this potentially worse than even a normal recession of the same depth. Again, I'll borrow this analogy. Say somebody tells you that you have to cut your household budget by 25%. You know, that'd be tough, right? Now, let's say they had the power to tell you what you had to cut. Like, instead of you looking at your budget and just trimming what you saw fit, These other people get to determine what is and isn't essential in your budget. So they make all of the decisions. Now, 
Obviously, their definition of essential might differ significantly from yours. They don't know the intricacies of your life. That's basically what the government has done. It has arbitrarily shut down certain things and left certain things running. I'm pretty certain politicians and bureaucrats aren't qualified to micromanage the economy any more than my mythical outsider could manage your budget. So the bottom line that I'm getting at here is that the economic distortions and the disruptions are extremely deep, and we probably won't see the real damage for months, maybe not even years. Not that we're not already seeing some of the damage now. We got the latest unemployment filing numbers yesterday. Another 3.5 million people filed jobless claims. I think it was 3.8 million seasonally adjusted. We're now over 33 million people unemployed in the span of just six weeks. Get this, that's 18.6% of the labor force. And again, as I've said before, these numbers certainly understate how many people are out of work right now. Thank God we've got the Fed, right? You know, I actually saw an article praising how great the Federal Reserve has been through all of this. This guy acted like at some point the Fed was just going to be able to turn off the stimulus spigot and there would be no negative impacts from pumping trillions of dollars created out of thin air into the economy. Yeah, okay. So speaking of the Fed, the FOMC met this week. It really didn't do anything, but it did promise to continue backstopping the economy with its funny money. I think it's important to keep emphasizing the fact that the Federal Reserve was propping up the economy in January, and it continues to prop up the economy today. The only difference is it had to add a lot more props over the last several weeks, trillions of them in fact. Get this, the Fed's balance sheet has expanded by $2.344 trillion. That's a 54.36% expansion in just seven weeks. The central bank has purchased $1.448 trillion in U.S. Treasury securities. So we've got debt monetization on a massive scale. And during its meeting yesterday, Fed Chair Jerome Powell promised to press on with as much as necessary. Now, I'm going to at least give Powell a little bit of credit for realizing that things are really bad right now. He said, quote, we're going to see economic data for the second quarter that's worse than any data we've ever seen. So at least he acknowledges that this is about to be the worst economy ever. But he remains clueless about how the very policies he is pushing right now have brought us to this place to begin with. Like most everybody else, he still thinks it's all about the virus and that we can just pump enough stimulus in, it'll see us through. In its statement, the Fed promised it would continue using its full range of tools to support the U.S. economy in this challenging time, so stimulus to the moon. And it also committed to leave interest rates at 0% until it is confident that the economy has weathered recent events and is on track to achieve its maximum employment and price stability goals. During the post-FOMC meeting press conference, Powell refused to speculate on just how long rates might have to stay at zero. But if the Great Recession gives us any indication, forever might not be a bad guess. I mean, really, it seems incomprehensible that the Fed could ever raise rates given the level of debt in the economy and the level of debt it's creating now with all of this stimulus. Remember, the central banks were already cutting rates before coronavirus. We already had problems before coronavirus. 
Of course, inflating the money supply by trillions of dollars has consequences of its own. And nobody seems concerned about that either, or at least most people in the mainstream. In fact, one reporter actually asked Powell how he would prevent a deflationary spiral. This is even as the Fed chair is directing the most inflationary monetary policy in history. Now, interestingly, there are some mainstream people that are concerned about inflation, so it's not just we contrarians. This week, a J.P. Morgan analyst said years of accumulating government debt, monetary and fiscal stimulus have built a ticking inflation bomb that may finally be triggered by the current recession. So, not just us. You know, how anybody could be selling gold in this environment right now is beyond me. It's bizarro. Anyway, I want to wrap up the show and touch on what's going on with silver. Did you realize that silver has never been this cheap in 5,000 years? Now, I'm talking relative to gold. The silver-gold ratio is over 112 to 1 right now. It hit an all-time high of 120 to 1 in March. Now, if you look back through history, up until the 20th, 20th century, the ratio was usually in the range of 10 to 20 to 1. That spread began to expand a bit once gold and silver were no longer used as a medium of exchange. But there's still been a long-standing ratio that has persisted for decades. One ounce of gold has typically been valued at 50 to 80 ounces of silver. Rarely does the ratio go higher. We were talking about how high it was last year when it was over 80. The important thing is that whenever it's gotten above that range, prices have always corrected. You can go back and look at ancient records and see that silver has never been so cheap relative to gold in literally thousands of years of human history. So if history is any guide, this means that the ratio should eventually narrow, i.e. the price of silver should either rise or the price of gold should fall and bring the ratio back to its more normal range. Now, silver almost always tracks with gold, and it has historically outperformed the yellow metal in a gold bull market. So unless you buy into the economy is going to be fixed soon and that printing trillions of dollars has no impact on the economy, it would seem that silver's most likely trajectory is up along with gold. A shift gold precious metal specialist can help you understand how you can profit from all of this, how you can help grow your wealth at this time. Give them a call. 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can just shoot them an email over to info at shiftgold.com. Well, that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more, and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap at iTunes, on Google Play, or on Stitcher. And, of course, on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. Links to all of that stuff are on the show notes page. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. And you can find us on Twitter. I've been doing uh, Facebook Live videos about once a week over there. uh, Just kind of talking off the cuff about things that are going on. So, definitely follow us on social media. Appreciate you guys listening to the show. And uh, I'll talk to you again next week. 